hidden behind closed doors. This is Beard Movies. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael. Jason, what movie are we talking about today? Today we're going to discuss 1981's Dead and Buried. Michael, what are we drinking today? We are drinking Lights Out Black IPA from Farfield Brewing. Smells delicious. This is a good beer. Uh, Lawndale, California sponsored us. I reached out, ended up finding out that the person who runs their social media, an old friend of mine, um, lives in our neighborhood. And I reached out. He said, if this is Michael, hey, this is Mark. And I wrote back and I said, oh, cool. So they, I, I, I said, would you be interested? And he asked them and they said, absolutely. So uh, we went down, checked it out. Cool little spot. Great beers. Really took care of us. They have a couple of some old vintage, which kind of fits in with this, kind of old timey, <laughs> but um, uh, vintage video games. Oh, nice. So that's pretty cool. And yeah. Of course, you know, the obligatory beanbag. Jay and I played beanbag. I won. Congratulations. <laughs> so, yeah, he said, he, he recommended, he said the, the lights out was fresh when they when he told me about it. So I, I said, sure. It's a pint can, 7.2%. Hey, Lawndale, I can't picture it. Where's it on the map? Are you serious? Yeah, I just cannot picture it. South of where we are. <laughs> okay. Is it is it in the I, LBC area? Like the... I, It's not that far. Okay. It, it wasn't that far for us. It's, I, ugh. I would say where we are in Santa Monica, I, I, southeast just a little okay. bit. Like right. maybe I'd say closer. Uh, I might have to look. <laughs> uh, you know what? No, because I'll say. you're like Lawndale. Well, I'm I was like, about to say like Torrance, but then I thought, you know, if I say that, I'm yeah. going to look so stupid because <laughs> because it's probably not. But in my mind, in my mind's eye, I'm cheating everyone. I'm looking it up. Oh, so south of Hawthorne. Okay. Just uh, south of Hawthorne. East of Manhattan Beach. So, um, cool spot. Thank you guys so much. Yeah. Really fun. We had a really good time. Black IPAs. You don't see enough of no. them. No. You get that roast, piney hops, super drinkable. Oh, absolutely. I, I was thinking, have we ever had a black IPA on the show? No. We've had we, black L's. We've had black lagers. Like. Yeah, we, we had black lagers. <laughs> yep. I don't think we've had any black IPAs. All right. So, this, this is, is a good. first. These, yeah, I like it. It's, it's a style Coffee, that yeah. in the early 2000s, was kind of a thing, and then it just died out. And they even referenced that on the can. I think it goes well with Dead and Buried. This is kind of a mutual choice. When we were getting our lists ready, you said Dead and Buried, and I said, that's on my list too. So it's kind of a collab pick. I own a special edition DVD. Okay, I own a regular DVD. Um, I did watch it on my DVD, and I watched it also on Tubi. Okay, so because it, one thing I did find is, I, I don't know if it's on YouTube. I didn't see on YouTube, but like on Tubi, you can watch it with commercials. Yeah, Tubi. You know? Yep. This is a, a curious movie for a number of reasons. The, one of the big ones, though, is every time you see a poster or a box for it, really big. The creator of Alien, Dan O'Bannon, gets a huge credit that he admittedly doesn't deserve or want. They used his name because Dan O'Bannon, they wanted that connection to Alien. Ronald Shusett is with the writer, producer, I believe. And he asked Dan O'Bannon, can I use your name? There's conflicting things. We've talked about yeah. this. I've read a few interviews where Dan O'Bannon has totally denounced it, said he was ashamed that he said I used Why? <laughs> I, I let them use my name. I've, I read where, where he said, I gave them some ideas. They didn't use them. But when I listen to the commentary, because I have a nerd out DVD, <laughs> Ronald Shusett does one of the commentaries, and he talks about it as if he and Dan O'Bannon we're sitting down in a room writing this movie out, but Dan O'Bannon is no, no, no. He had nothing to do with it. 
So it's it's interesting that way. Yeah, I don't know why Dan O'Bannon would say he was ashamed because I, I also had on this there's an interview with Dan O'Bannon where he mentions how much he liked it. So it's kind of curious. I don't know where he really stands. There's a lot he contradicts himself. Yeah. But I don't know why you would be ashamed of this. This is a cool movie. It, it's a very cool movie. My dad on his bookshelf had the novelization by Chelsea Quinn Yarbrough that I also read. <laughs> so, okay. For for those of you who aren't of a certain age, back in the day, yeah. they would do novelizations. Exactly. I don't know if they do that anymore. I don't think I, so. I read The Thing. Yeah. They did. But it wasn't, it wasn't the story, remind you. They did a novelization of John Carpenter's movie, you know, but... I, oh, I have a whole bunch. Like, I did Goonies novelization, this book, uh, Oh, Heavenly Dog. Like, I, have I mean, all these no, it's, it's a weird concept to think that there are people out there who made a total living watching a movie and then going, I'm going to write a book. It's like the reverse yeah. of taking, you know, Stephen King and we're going to make a garbage movie or a good yeah. movie. But, you know, you're going, I'm taking a movie and writing a book. That would be a strange, <laughs> strange life. So, um, 1981, this movie picked up, I call it the Thing Syndrome. It wasn't a hit. Since then, it's got this cult following. It, it's on every list when you see Lovecraft, Lovecraftian movies. This is on there for good reason. It has elements of Innsmouth. It has elements of Reanimator as well, Herbert West. Yeah. I like this movie. It's one of my favorite movies. I watch it on a regular basis. Yeah. It's a type of horror movie I like where it's a mystery shrouded in horror and it came out at the pinnacle of slasher movies. 1981. And this is a movie where you sit and watch, and it's really a mystery because you cannot figure out what's going on. And even to this day, when I think about the movie and I take about, like, I try to pull all the little threads, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It, it, it doesn't. We were talking about that. It, <laughs> it, it doesn't. But at the same time, you go, this is a movie about, spoiler alert, yeah. <laughs> it's a movie about a mortician who takes people who have been horribly killed uses black magic or something to bring them back to life, and then he touches them up because he's, you know, really good at his job. This movie is creepy. The shooting, the lighting, there's no shadows. There's It's uh, it's shot at this time of day, the lighting where they don't create shadows, and there's fog everywhere. It's shot up in Mendocino, so it's right on the coast, so it stands in great for the East Coast, which is supposed to be the Northeast. But it's just creepy. The, even scenes that aren't supposed to be scary have this doom and gloom to them that's just throughout from beginning to end. There's no sunrise or sunset. No. This town exists at night and at dusk. And in fact, the only time you get that pinnacle of a little ray of calm is only at the very beginning. And that's it. Yeah. And we go it, from the still photo yeah. of Mendocino and then it just slowly fades into action. I sit back and, of course, we'll talk about the Lovecrafting elements and to me, after multiple viewings, the only thing I could think of when it comes in is that Dobbs is playing a game with people in the town. Like he, he's, he's so bored that you know that he's just playing games because otherwise, there's all these breadcrumbs drop. And after multiple viewings, you picked up. I think on the first viewing, you could watch this through. You get to the end, you're like, oh my gosh, that makes complete sense. And how did it come here? But if you go back and watch it multiple times, you'll see these little things that some of them add up. Some you're like. Okay, that, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Or, what happened to that? <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of logic. There's things that seem like they either just went, well, we're not going to go down that avenue. And we know? do know, you could read all about this. It was re-edited a couple times. Yeah. you know, And so I think that might have added to some of making it a little like unsettling atmosphere, the camera work, all the blue hues, even the lights. They're not bright. 
yellow or red. It's all bright blue. Like nothing it is, can cut through the gloom. No, exactly. Of Potter's and there's blood. no red except for the blood. Like that's another thing that he was like. Even there was a note where even on the car's taillights, he changed them out so they wouldn't be red. That they were like blue hued. And then the special effects, Stan Winston. Because Stan Winston is a legend. He's kind of a godlike status in the, in that industry. And this is like the beginning of it. And you see the makeup. I mean, it was fun to watch this. Jane watched this with me. And it was fun to watch it with somebody who was seeing it for the first time. Because she would go, oh, whoa, that, yeah. wait, what's going on? You know, because somebody dies. And then a few scenes later, they show up. And they're, quote, unquote, alive as a completely different person. And, you know, all these, like you said, breadcrumbs. Where this shows up. You see this throughout, and then all of a sudden you see it in a different context, and you say, oh, that means that. So it was really fun to watch it with somebody who kept going, oh, whoa. Yeah. Turn, what's going on? I go, oh, you have to watch. And she goes, yeah, okay. <laughs> and then at the end of it, she goes, that's a bad movie, right? <laughs> and, and I said, what? <laughs> Wait, you were like, and she said, well, it was creepy and all, but that's a bad movie, right? I said, no, I own a special DVD. Jason and I have been texting about how much we like this. <laughs> She goes, it's a bad movie. After that still shot you're talking about, we go to the beach. We meet George Lemoyne, who's a main, really important character in this. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's driving around in a groovy bus, you know, VW bus, I think. And he's down on the beach. He's a photographer with a Greek fisherman's hat and everything. And he walks Captain by. Captain and Tennille. There's all these wrecked boats, <laughs> these beat up old boats. And there's a net. He walks by a net, which is very symbolic. And it's this romantic music. And it's, it's, it looks great. It looks like a place you go, I'd totally like to be there. He's walking on a beach and beautiful waves are crashing. And it sets this romantic tone. And it leads up to some horror. That opening scene serves as a bookend. And also, it talks about some things that are happening in the movie. Like, pictures and photographs and film serve an important part of this movie. And I still puzzle why, but it's interesting that the first instance is with a photographer. That that starts to film. You start with a that still of Mendocino that fades into the active street, which is the only time you see. Because right now it's all peaceful and calm. Yeah. And but the, all of a sudden, hence he's walking on the beach, and I'm like, is anyone taking care of this beach? Like, there's a lot of trash and stuff. I mean, I shouldn't say trash, but just old, rotting, forgotten, decayed, yes. stuff on uh, the beach. It's like abandoned. The, yeah. Calm before the storm, and then. Did they give that character a name? Oh, I guess Nurse Lisa, but it's, she's not a nurse at this time, but Lisa. Yeah, because um, the but, actress is Lisa Blunt. Yeah, but I don't think she was really given a name. Prince of Darkness. Yes. No, they never call her anything. She's beautiful. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, she shows up. He's taking pictures. Yeah. He's taking all these pictures. He's got a fancy camera. And all of a sudden, you're looking through his lens. You're seeing through his eye. And boom, there's this gorgeous woman. Blonde in a red tied-up shirt. Yeah, like hip-hugger pants. Jordash jeans, yeah, high-waisted. She's beautiful. And, I'm, and and you think, you know, it's like, okay, this is either an adult film. Yeah. There's only two ways this, <laughs> this can go. Exactly. This is an adult film, which is cool, or it's get out of there. You yeah. need to run, because this is nothing good can come of this. And, of course, they she's doing, you know, the, the oh, hey, you know, the dumb blonde routine on him, and it works, you know. Because she wants pictures, and he takes pictures, and he's only like, "Oh, I'm going to send these to Playboy." Yeah. So weird, what a weird thing to what say. A, what an odd pickup line. <laughs> I'm going to send your pictures to Playboy. <laughs> There's and we t- find out he's from St. Louis, which yeah. is key. And we, and she goes, "Let me guess your name." And she's like, "I think you'd be a Fred, a Freddie." And he's like, "Ah," but it's that's an important note because in this scene too, 
She asked him, she's playing the dumb blonde, like I'm I'm just sitting here and if I'd like to be a fo- I'd like to be a model. But she asked him two important questions. One is, are you on an assignment? Mm-hmm. And are you famous? Because when you get to the end of the movie, you imagine like people who are set places that are on jobs, they're being tracked. Famous people are being tracked. Yes. When people are no ones, it's a lot easier for them to disappear. <laughs> which, which, Jason, I'm going to remember that because he basically says he's just like, I'm just. I'm this guy from St. Louis. Passing, yeah, I'm from St. Louis. You don't get famous in St. Louis uh, forever. If anybody ever asks me yeah. questions like that, yeah. I'm going to say, I am a big name and people know where I am. Exactly. <laughs> I'm famous and I'm on an assignment. <laughs> API. <laughs> no, it is. It's it, Jason. It's it's. They're just these casual questions. But yeah. like you said, when it when it when it all comes down, you go. There's a reason. Yeah. This is an interview. And then of course, she, out of nowhere, flashes her top, which you know, twelve year old Michael is given double thumbs up. Hey, you know the gratuitous. <laughs> Even at my age, I'm going double <laughs> yeah, thumbs exactly. up. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. And then she says, you know, hey, do you want to, you know, you want to mess get around? It on? Yeah. And, and, he's, and he goes here, you know. <laughs> And, and then, then we go from like romantic to absolute horror. Oh, just it, the music changes. Also, if you listen, it goes from a calm beach sound to like waves crashing. And all of a sudden, there's a bunch of people there and they start beating on him with crowbars. <laughs> Crowbars and shovels. They take his camera and there's, and there's other. They're taking pictures of him. Someone's holding one of the old timey flashes, like the big, the three flashes, which is, is important. Is very important. One breadcrumb, and they're beating on it. And he's going, "What are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing?" <laughs> and he gives him a little bit of a fight, but then they they wrap him in the net to a pole. And a woman with a hairdo from like 1945. It's yeah. a great hairdo. Happens to be Ronald Shusett's wife. Midge, a yep. later on. No. This guy goes up and he says, welcome to Potter's Bluff. Dumps <laughs> gasoline over his head and they torch him. And he's screaming. It's just horrible. And it, it just it is so jarring the first time you see it. Yeah. They burn him. And, and he's then, screaming. And then it, it fades into that town billboard, which is Potter's Bluff, a new way of life. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> and that's where the first time I'm saying... That's a little bit of dark comedy, black comedy right there. Because if they would have left that part out and just gone to the next scene, scenes like that lighten the mood a little in this movie. Because if you move that scene out, because that scene's kind of funny because you're like, yeah, new way of life. We're going to kill you here. But you're right. But you don't know exactly how kind of weirdly funny it is until you watch the whole movie. Exactly. It's the gallows humor. And the humor, it isn't like joke humor. No. It's, it's, they're eccentric people yeah. that you go, you meet these people in your life. It's like a natural funny, but it's, this is not a comedy. Yeah. No, not at all. Because then we meet our main character in yeah. Robert England. There's yeah. some there's some faces you recognize. Barry oh, yeah. Corbin, Michael Pataki, yeah. Robert England. You find the bus is turned upside down and on fire. Yeah. And we introduce a sheriff, uh, Dan Gillis, played by the great... James Ferentino. <laughs> He's the guy you call when the first guy you called to replace them. You call Al Pacino. Then you call another guy when Al Pacino turns you down. Then you call James Ferentino. That sounds mean because James Ferentino, has, he's had a great career. But you know what I mean? Yeah. In that time, it was like, we can't get Al Pacino. So we're going to get this guy. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but they're investigating this crash. And you, it's one of the early, like, what's going on here moments? Because this guy they just torched. His bus is upside down, and apparently they're saying he died in this crash. Yeah. What's going on? And the local town corner plus mortician will be showing up. 
and they're waiting on him. And you can tell, and this is a first example, it's also a breadcrumb where people are waiting on this man. The sheriff is not. Like, Dan is like, you know, we need to keep moving on this crime case. But then you see, like, this hearse blaring big band music, like, coming down the mountain. And, and they focus on that because I think it's a hint, like, this is the person to watch. This is the puppet master. It's called Potter's Bluff. And Potter is, you know, someone who creates things out of clay just as, a, as another thing. And he comes down. Also, they, they uh, like a poor graveyard. Yeah. The Potter's Field. Yeah. Uh, also mentioned a lot in Lovecraft. Yeah. He shows up. And it's almost, Jason, they try to do it to be kind of funny with the old-timey music, but it's also this guy, he kind of lives in the past. Yeah. And he doesn't want time to change. Yeah. That's one of my, my thoughts. No, I think so. He wants That's everything to stand still. Point. He doesn't like the idea of aging. Interesting Jack, Jack Albertson, the oh, actor. He's great. Amazing. And they knew when he was doing them, when they were making this movie, he was dying of cancer. And they knew it was terminal. And he took the role, and then he died shortly after they wrapped it up. But it's interesting he took, this was his final role. Go and look at his IMDb. He's amazing. He does a, a terrific job in this. And this is the first, this is when, when Stan Winston gets his first oh, yeah. wow moment. This is not an actor strapped upside down. This is a Stan Winston creation. There's these jump scares in the movie because the assumption is it's dead. And they, Robert England's character even says, oh, yeah, he's a goner. You yeah. take a look at him, Danny. <laughs> and, and Dan is like, he's sort of, when people talk about like death in, in a way that's not with reverence, he kind of gets disgusted. Like he doesn't yeah. think, he's, he's like, yeah, I saw him. All of a sudden, like you said, they cut to the image of a body hanging upside down in a car. Charred face, and it screams. And it, I'm thinking, like, how could it scream with, like, if it's so charred? There's like, there's no vocal cords left. Oh, I, all, I, I know the first time I saw it, it is. It's it, jarring. It's terrifying. It's great, too. It's just fantastic makeup. That is not an actor. That is all his creation. And he gets some moments. Yeah. He gets, they give him some moments that you're just, it's... You see where practical effects have. I know we're in a period where everything's CGI, but the practical effects on this are are just downright amazing. Oh, incredible! So we get to the diner, yeah, (laughs) and the locals are kind of razzing Dan about just. We paid you to get a master's degree in criminology, and this is a weird scene because they talk about his history as if get an impression that he's a member of the community for a long time. time. Again, some stuff that doesn't necessarily make sense. Later down the line. But there's a big, huge, like, all of a sudden, a jarring moment on the, even though it's, like, very calm. But I'll also ask you this, Michael. That diner, is that a clean, bright diner? There's nothing clean and bright in this movie. Everything kind of has a drab, dark feel. No shadows. And it just kind of looks, it looks like an abandoned. It looks like it hasn't been clean. And it's not, like, dirty, filthy. It just, like the boats, yeah. like the beach. Everything is just kind of going to seed. Then when they're talking about this accident, and then this the waitress walks, Midge over, walks up, and she's the woman who lit the match on the yeah. beach. And that is that. That's one of the moments you go, oh Whoa. wait, what is what? Are, where are we? Where are we at here? Yeah. Where are we going? I'm on my feet are on quicksand. This is not normal because yeah. she acts. She's also like, oh, that's a horrible thing, and you realize like you she did, did it. it. <laughs> and and you know what? You're it, it's not a horrible. What's horrible is what you did. Yeah, because there was no car accident. Yeah. <laughs> you kill. You lit this guy up, but he didn't die. And I do like that Barry Corbin is in this. Like he's in these three tiny scenes. <laughs> he's sitting in there, and you know, if he's so I, Barry Corbin. I was like a Northern Exposure fan. He played. Maurice in that, and then if you watch Modern Family, he plays Cam's dad. He's he's I, I he's a great actor. And it's just it's so tiny. I'm like, 
that's a kind of really tiny role. But when you think about it, it's 1981. Yeah, no, true. I, yeah, I mean, these Robert England, Barry Corbin didn't have their big moment yet. Yeah. Our next scene after rousing him, this is like an intimate scene. And it's a comedy scene. Zadok. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I wrote it down. I didn't write it there. But They're yeah. just this Z- fisherman. Z- that drunk know? old Zadok yeah. from Innsmouth. This guy apparently is just passing through town. He's a fisherman. It's yeah. just happened in a town. And what does he do? He just gets blind drunk and just walks around talking like a drunk. <laughs> and he gets killed out of nowhere. And we didn't mention this, but whenever they kill somebody, one of the things they do, and it's really creepy, but we think there's a point, is they take pictures. Out of yeah. nowhere, they come, people, they pop up, the townsfolk pop up, they go, smile, and they start taking pictures of people while they're killing them. Like you, like you said, pictures, film, there's all this recording of memory, and they brutally kill this dude. If they wanted to do this straight, they could have just had him stumbling along, and these people jump out. But you listen to his dialogue, it's like funny dialogue. Don't tell me about boat night. Yeah. And like, it's I'm hilarious. Bo- I'm like, um, why is this By a the comedy? way, listening to it, all of it was ad-libbed by the actor. <laughs> They just kind of let him go. And he's pouring like booze yeah. into a fish's mouth. And he thinks that's the funniest thing. Yeah. He's got the humor of a three-year-old. Like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> pour booze into a fish's mouth. But once again, it lightens the mood. And then there's a huge contrast. Because yeah. in this time, they like slit his throat and slash his face. Yeah, with like a harpoon. Yeah. This is all, yeah, they just brutally kill this dude. I don't know why they're killing all these people from outside the community. Because we find out, and it's one of those things that you said, you know, it doesn't all make sense. It seems like it would draw attention, but also we find out that not all the townspeople have been turned. Wouldn't you take care of all the townspeople first? And what's the end game? Do you just keep on, like, it's like a phantasm. Do you just keep on turning people? I mean, I don't. It's almost like Dobbs got bored with life and decided to play God. And then at some point, maybe playing God is boring. My takeaway on this movie, because the next couple scenes is where. I started, like, after several viewings, and watch this over time, because I really like this movie, is that <laughs> my, my takeaway is that... We, like I said, you, we both had it on our list. Yeah, yeah, is Dobbs is playing a game with the sheriff, because he is bored, because you create these automatons, and you give them some semblance of life, but you really control them. Yeah. You control what thoughts they have, and all of a sudden he's like, you know what? He goes, I'm getting older, like, it'd be nice to have, you know, a little antagonism, a little nem- something to drive me. And Which he, so he makes question. mysteries for the sheriff. Yeah, you're, you're right. That could be. Like, this is his own, like, April Fool's Day yeah. where he's like, the town is where he stages these mysteries yeah. and the sheriff is the guy who has to solve them every time. It's like, he just resets the game of Clue yeah. with the sheriff. Maybe that's it. But also, if he discovered this, whatever you want to call it, procedure, yeah. why didn't he do it on himself long before? Like, if I knew how to, like, not age when I was 25... I wouldn't be sitting here like this at 49. You know what I mean? And then I go, now that I'm getting older, I'm going to make myself... I would have done it at 25, so I keep that. Again, doesn't all make sense, but it's cool. But we get his laboratory, and then Dobbs has the old Underwood type. It's like an antique. It looks like his laboratory where he does his work. He has the old phonograph, everything. He's stuck in the past. He wanted things to stop. He want he basically didn't want to age. He was yeah. like whatever that era is, the forties or whatever yeah. that he has going on in his in his office. Like he wishes that that's probably the high point of his life, and he's like, I want to stay there because yeah. he's playing sentimental journey. Jimmy, who also apparently the local weed dealer, 
But also, as we turned out, he's also not alive either. No. And, and I, I just... He's learning how to do what Dobbs yeah. is doing because he touches himself up because Dobbs will take people. you got to have those people. Yeah. Growing up in the cemetery yeah. industry. you got to have like, morticians. Yeah. Yep, they do the makeup and make people look. And he thinks the idea of a closed casket is obscene. Yeah. He does all this work to make people look beautiful. And all he tells Dan all these tricks. And Dan is disgusted when he's... Yeah. De- like, he can see he's creeped out yeah. when he's describing, you know, I've used sawdust for eyeballs and, you know, covered a hand when it had no fingers and do all these little tricks of the trade. And Dan is uncomfortable with all of this. And he points out, this is an art and I... Am an artist. Yep. So he is a creator. That's how he sees himself. But Dan has a thing. I don't know how he arrived at that, but he believes that George was burned and then put in the van. Yeah. There's something that doesn't add up to him, and he's like, this doesn't make sense. And so they get a call to go to the boatyard, and they find the drunk sailor's body. And then Dan's like, this is the second. They make no attempt to make this look like an accident. No, this one's a no, this is not an accident at all. <laughs> And this is a murder scene, and this is Dan's like, oh my gosh, we have two recently. And I'm thinking, going back, this is where I think Dan's memory is probably regularly erased. Because there has to be several of these murders that he's investigating all the time. I know. And we also noticed he's scratching his His hand. Exactly. I think this is the first time. Yep. It's a breadcrumb. that becomes a thing. It's just a little, he scratches his his wrist. It's a... There's a reason for that. Yeah, it'll come again because when he's talking to a doctor near the very end, he's scratching his hand again. Yep, because he's scratching his <laughs> hand all throughout and he's like, you know, this guy was murdered and that makes me think even more, the dude in the van, that was not an accident. Yeah. This was no boating yeah. accident. <laughs> <laughs> Finds out where Freddie stayed. Because it's probably George, only one I'm hotel. Sorry, it's George. But just so you know, Freddie and George are the, the same, same person. person. <laughs> In case we sound, start getting confused as we're drinking this delightful beer. Yeah, he goes to the inn, which you pointed out. It is a dingy. Well, the guy even makes a joke about, you know, like the tourist tray. He's like, the, the tourist tray. He's like, what tourist tray? Exactly. Yeah, you know? it's like, <laughs> but it does. It's all dingy. There's fog everywhere. And there's when you walk up that steps in that scene and you're watching Ben, the proprietor of the hotel, lead him up. Who at this time, I don't know if he's alive or dead. If he's alive, he's offering clues. But if he's dead, why is he offering these clues except to like have this game that they're playing? I don't I don't but know. That staircase scene that are walking up, if you look, there's like cobwebs everywhere. Who would stay in that hotel? Nobody. Well, <laughs> dude, I mean anybody that comes to that town seems to get killed. Yeah. So there's that. <laughs> Find all these photography books, because if you're a photographer, the only thing you take is photography books. They're not finding anything about the man himself. But then Ben drops this just casual thing about, you know what? And he's got that Northeast accent. It's interesting because in the commentary, I'll try not to do too much commentary talk, but Ronald Shusette talks about how it's a Southern accent. And I'm like, no, that totally sounds like he's trying to do a a Northeast accent. Oh, you should ask your wife. (laughs) And this is right. Why did all of a sudden it come to Ben? I mean, it's such a strange thing because Ben looks, Ben looks like he has a trouble with his thoughts. He looks confused. Yeah. And that's why when I watch this every time, I'm like, I think he's a zombie at this time and this is a game. It could I, be, but at the same time, Jason, when you, it's a delicate thing to say to a man or to anybody, hey, ask your wife. She was coming here to visit that stranger in a hotel. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's an awkward conversation to have. Even if nothing's going on. 
which we don't even find out what exactly was going on. No. At first, Dan has a look as if my wife was coming here to visit that guy at our hotel room. Well, here, here's... Why are you doing that? But then he plays it like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. of course she was. Well, here's my takeaway. So we have George, the photographer, who we know later on is going to be Freddie, the gasoline attendant. I don't think Dan was ever a real police investigator. I think Dobbs made up that role for him, and he's having difficulty solving these cases. So they're giving him clues because that's the part of the game. He goes home to confront his wife. Yeah, but at the same time, he does pick up that George was burned, then put in the car. Yeah. It was pretty good detective work. But, but I'm, but, I'm with you. But also, I like, think he was. How good. did he figure that out? <laughs> I, I think I, I have no idea. I agree with you. I don't think he was a cop. I think I, I think he was just another George. Yeah, he was passing through town, and they made him. And Dobbs like, and he's know, like, well, we need a sheriff. Yeah, let's this, make him the sheriff. He's a good looking guy, and yeah. maybe he did go to. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe he did go to. Maybe he was some sort of investigator yeah. that went to a fancy school. Yeah. He, his wife has an answer for everything. Melody Anderson's pretty great, <laughs> and she. But she's odd. There's something off immediately. Jane even said it. She said, there's something up with her because she does. She's got an answer. Oh, wait, what were you doing at the hotel? Oh, George. And we find out his name's George Lemoyne. Interesting name. I bought photography equipment for the school because she's a teacher, a very weird teacher. I needed teachers like that. Be beautiful. (laughs) A beautiful teacher who talked about voodoo (laughs) cutting people's hearts out. Might have kept me a little more interested in school. But that actress, I, I knew her because she played Del Arden in the oh yeah the they, Sam the, the Sam they, Jones they Flash thought, Gordon. This, this came out shortly after that, and they thought since she was in it, Flash Gordon was a big hit. They thought, oh, that's gonna carry this movie. We're gonna kind of rise in the wake, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats. We're gonna go, <laughs> we're gonna rise in the tide of Melody Anderson. It didn't quite happen. Well, so this scene also is odd because. Their house is clean and well lit. It's a and cool f- house. And in fact, it's and it's funny that house is not in Mendocino. That that house is in Angelina Heights, just right northeast of. Oh really? LA. Yeah, and they film on that street all the time. And it's strange that they use that house rather than film in Mendocino because there's no streets like. With oh that my scene. god! Okay, this is really funny. I do have to mention in the commentary they talk about how there's they're like, oh, this house is great. They're, those houses are all over Mendocino. I think their memory might have been a little curdled. No, years. it's right there in Angelina Heights, and but it is. It's a nice little house. It's a beautiful house. The interior. It, everything is drab. Everything is so gloomy. But it's better than everything else. And you see her cleaning. But we she find is out trying she, to maintain. She's something. a special zombie. She is. She, she is. is a special zombie. <laughs> so George confronting sees just happens upon Principal Haskell. Yeah. <laughs> Who I, I swear, Jason, he sounds exactly like the dean. The guy I can never remember the actor's name. He played the dean in Animal House. Oh yeah, um. <laughs> zero point zero zero. But he does. And Dan says, "Hey, you know Haskell, you know the guy you bought photography equipment from." I don't know what you're talking about. He's sort of like grumpy. And he's know? talking to the sheriff. There's yeah. like there's a pecking order in this city. And the sheriff is at the bottom, which leads me to believe once again because everybody always they make fun of the sheriff they, they because kind of, yeah they he's not him. a real like, sheriff. Look at this ding bad. He's well, he's not in. Yeah. He's not. He's not privy to the new yeah. stuff. You know, because everybody talks from the group at the diner. They treat him like a child. Or they're always like, like, "Oh, we need to check in with Dobbs before we do this." And I'm like, "This is the sheriff of the town." Yeah. No, you're right. It's it's so true. They all treat him somewhat. Like a child. Yeah. So, but Haskell's going, no, we didn't do that. Nothing happens at that school <laughs> that I don't know about. So, again, your wheels are going, well, what's up with his wife? I mean, it's not going to be as simple as she's having an affair. 
Also, I would say, if she was visiting George at the hotel room, why didn't they kill him there? Why wouldn't she have killed George? There's a lot of whys. There's a, yeah. <laughs> it makes me not want to go to Mendocino because it's just, it's going to suffer from the association. I'll go up there. I'll just be. Because it's going to be bright and it, it is beautiful. And, oh, no. I'm sure it's going to be beautiful, but I'm going to look at everybody and just think, ah, oh, these guys are going to kill me, turn me into a zombie. <laughs> Sheriff Dan, he ends up heading to the hospital because George, or Freddy, is awake. This is a Stan Winston practical effect. That is amazing. It looks like there's a person in a full body cast. You only see their mouths open and then their one eye. This is the most iconic moment in the movie. This is what people, this movie is known for because he's talking to the doctor and you see in the background, it's really cool. You see Nurse Lisa show up, walk into the room. She goes, hey, Freddie, I'm glad you're okay. Yeah. She has this giant needle. Oh, good Lord. And, he, and he's just like quivering and like he can't scream. And she, oh, what does she do, man? It's, she jams it in his eye. And how they did it, you can listen to a lot of tracks how they did it. It's actually a reverse shot, but it is creepy as heck. And you're like, what is going on in this movie? And then she leaves it. Like, she leaves. Not interested in making this look like an accident. And so once again, are they leaving a breadcrumb for the sheriff? Because why do... She <laughs> oh, snuck oh, oh. in because, and no one saw her. She could easily pull it out, snuck out. And no one would have been the wiser. Why leave the evidence? You can almost picture all of them like uh, Oscar going, oh my God, he cannot pick. Okay, just go in and stab him in the eye. Yeah. This guy Give needs him something. hold his hand and walk him over to where the dead body. Like, he, this guy doesn't get anything, you know? No. But he does. And that hospital looks it, like it, no. there's like no patient. The doctor, we know, is alive at this time. But there doesn't seem to be any patients, and it is so run down and <laughs> well, I, we find out what does Dobbs say? He says, when you're dead, you don't get sick and you don't age. So there would be nobody. And so, isn't the doctor. How, how does this place even qualify to have a hospital? I know. And, and shouldn't the doctor be going, like, you know what? When I'm looking at my data, I'm seeing like less than one person a month. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, but seriously, Jason, this town isn't big enough to, to support a hospital. Well, that's that, that's, that's a, a town where you have you have a little clinic, maybe. But then if if you need to go to the hospital, so you're going wherever. You're going down yeah. to Bangor. Yeah. So I think we're supposed to be in Maine. You're going to go to Bangor, Maine. Uh, uh, this is one of the moments where I'm like, how much of this town are zombies and how many are alive? Because if they have a hospital, exactly, you're expecting a larger population. But when you go inside the hospital, you can tell... They're not seeing anybody. No, the hospital is. The doctor should be patients. worried about paying rent. Exactly. There's a, and, and, and the the local inn doesn't have people. Like yeah. he jokes about that. There's no real tourism. Which in some ways you would think, how can that be? Towns like that always have a tourism trade. But I mean, I digress. Yeah. We're trying to solve, you know, the yeah. Chamber of Commerce problems <laughs> for, for Potter's Bluff, Maine. <laughs> no matter how many times I watch this movie, though, that needle scene, oh, it makes me pucker. It yeah. just makes everything kind of tense up. I'm like, yeah. that's not cool, buddy. No. That is not, that's a great idea, yeah. but that's horrible. They buried George Lemoyne's body. A pretty kind of fancy little headstone, yeah, too. But it looks like it's made out of wood. It, no, it, it totally is made out of wood, but <laughs> I mean, they, the name on is spelled a seaside nicely. Towel, like, that's going to rot like nothing. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, in a seaside town like that, oh, you, you need to be nice, drinking a nice black a IPA. Pie. And you don't see a lot of, except for that one drunk fisherman, you don't see a lot of drinking going on in this town. And I would expect that, like, in that diner, there'd be a lot of drinking for these guys who work in the sea. You know what else, Jason? There's no smoking. I'm not saying smoking, it's a bad habit, kids. Don't do it. But seriously, in that era, people were always smoking. Yeah. 1981? People, you go into a diner in 1981... You're smoking. People are smoking all over. There's ashtrays. There's a smoking and non-smoking section. Oh, in that little diner, it's all smoking. 
You know what I mean? You're, it's a small room. They're like, those two seats over there are in the sm- non-smoking section, <laughs> yeah. but you're surrounded by smoke. No, but it, it's it's so true. Like, the era, we we were like the last generation that grew up when you went into a place, there were ashtrays on the table. Yeah, and they would ask you, smoking, non-smoking? And you're like, it's one open space. Like, doesn't matter. Well, I'll tell you, this this black IPA would be ideal. Yes. This would be a great, great beer to have in a little gloomy, cool, sea town like Potter's I'm, I'm going to read on Potter's the back. Bluff. It looked like the once popular style was down for the count. But everyone's favorite hoppy onyx concoction recently fought its way back to the craft beer world to blow minds and palates alike. Featuring the punchy hop combo of Columbus, Chinook, Amarillo, and Simcoe? Yep. This roasty, piney black IPA packs enough punch to knock your lights out. I agree. It's delicious. This is so good. Thank you, Farfield. I did try it on tap when I was there. Nice little policy of I drive there, Jane drives back, because I don't get to Lawndale that often. So I was like, I got to try a number of things. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, this was the one. And I tried it. I went, this was ideal. They do a lavender, like a lavender wheat beer. Oh, I think it's lavender interesting. Wheat. Yeah, we had that on our, I did a post for that one time. And that's kind of where this whole thing started was I, I put that up. Some friends had it. We had a little beer tasting. It was super tasty. I did a post with it. Farfield liked our post. And then I, I was just reached out and said, hey, man, thanks for that. And um, how about, you know, this? And here we are. The scene with Dobbs them at the graveyard. To me, it's another, it's like a tipping point because... Dobbs makes some statements, and I wonder what you thought about where he says, Daniel, you're a great disappointment to me. You're burying George, and I didn't get to work my magic. But he's completely lying to him. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Is he saying you're a disappointment because you can't solve I'm like, I'm giving you so many clues. Like, solve this. Solve it, Dan. Because otherwise, I don't why he's I've done everything. That. I'm, I'm, I'm this close. I'm yeah. this close to making t-shirts that yeah, say, I am a zombie yeah. and making everybody wear them. <laughs> and honestly, your first view, couple of viewings, you wouldn't catch on to that. But you watch it and you, you know the ending eventually. You rewatch it, you're like, he's literally lying to him. Because yeah. they're not burying George. No, they're burying his heart. He did work his magic on him. Yeah. I cannot fathom this movie like no, it's like a game. I think you got caught in that, you know, overthinking. Because no, I'm with you. I'm 100 percent with you. But at the same time, you got to roll with it. Yeah, Dobbs is a weird character, and he's just he's so much fun to watch. It's so much fun to watch Jack Albertson because he has those big glasses. He's like a super rail thin dude, the bald head, and he's just this quirky looking dude. He looks like that guy like perfect it's typecasting it's a perfect casting because it's but a, he's having so much fun with the role yeah he is and it's back to back where that scene and the next scene where dan goes home his wife comes home and it's that great shot where she's walking into the house that's such great camera work to actually see her follow her and walk into the house and you're like but why would you spend money on trying to do a shot? Like it doesn't it doesn't matter that shot, but it's amazing cinema work. And it is it's a great shot that good eye, yeah. you know, cuz most people don't even think about that. No, that's a that's a cool shot. That's a, it's just a single shot of yeah. watching her walk yeah. up. I like it. And this is a point where she hands him a roll of film and says, "This is my students doing it. Can you get it developed?" To you Ernie. Know, yeah. Do you and you know like later on, you know what's on that film. Why did she give him that? It's like Dobbs, like listen, Jan, like he, like this guy is so thick, he does not get anything. Give him the what? film where, uh, you know, like we said, spoilers. It's the film where we kill him on, where he was originally killed. Give him that film and have ask him to have it develop. <laughs> but Jason, 
uh, along with that because it is it's just ridiculous it's like here's the weapon i kill people with yeah. i'm going to give it to you because i'm so confident that yeah. you aren't going to find it because i think you're that stupid yeah. but also i'm not really sure why he suddenly gets all suspicious about this film yeah it's sort of well, it's sort of the same thing as why he suddenly out of nowhere went I don't think that guy died in an accident. I think he was burned and then put in that car. <laughs> but anyways, those two scenes back to back are were always turning where I'm like, okay, that starts beginning a turning point in the movie because Dobbs said, I'm disappointed. You should be able to solve this already. And the very next scene, she's like, take this film <laughs> and develop it. Because if you develop it and you look at that, I'm just lied to you. <laughs> The next scene, it's a great scene. And the family comes in. The family, okay, so this is this sequence, although it just suffers from what I think is just really bad writing because his family, husband, wife, and child, great because this little kid has A, no car seat. Yeah. <laughs> and he's young no enough. Seat belt. He should have a, a car seat. Well, nowadays, yeah, he'd be in a car seat. But back then... No, but I'm saying he's young enough that he would warrant a car seat these days. But he's not even buckled in. No. Just great. That's how you did things in the 70s and 80s. I know. (laughs) So this family, they come in, and the dialogue between the parents is is really bad. It's jarring, and it stinks because this whole sequence is just terrifying. They roll into town. They're kind of lost. They're arguing. They pull into the diner. There's Midge. We know she's bad. And the wife is like, ask him about gas. Ask him about gas. Yeah. She's just like, they make her out to be this, this brow-beating shrew. And the guy goes in, and then the wife and kid come in, and we find out there's a guy who's sitting with his back to the camera the whole time. They go, oh, gas. Can we get gas anywhere? And she goes, hey, Freddie. And it turns around, and it's George. He's the photographer. Yeah. Completely fine. Not a scar on his face. Now he's Freddie. The guy who runs the gas station, he's even got the hat. Like, I can get you gas. And so they're going to get gas and something. I don't know what it's supposed to be, a person, but something flies in front of the car. They crash. They start arguing, and it's really annoying. Like, it just pulls me out of the whole thing. She sees a light in the house. They go into this house, Jason. What is this house like? I mean, it's like a haunted house. Like, no one's lived there for a while. And she's like, "Ah, there's no electricity because they're flipping the switches. And she's like, I'm going to go and look for an ice pack. I'm going to tell you, if there's no electricity in the house, I don't want generation wrong to like, if there's like an old ice box with a block of ice in it, but there's not going to be any. She tells him, a fuse box in the basement. She's just yelling at him. She's going, and then it's not just ice. She's like, or a cold compress. Like, who, who uses a cold compress? Like, what are you, 1940? Get out of here with your cold compress. But she does, she goes, fuse box in the basement. I don't know why suddenly they're the owners of the house yeah. and you're supposed to be doing repairs. <laughs> But he goes down, it sets up, and it's super creepy because once they get in this house, first of all, the door is open. There's an inch of dust on everything. He even says, he goes, nobody's living here. And she keeps going, I saw a light. They argue. And he's like, you're being silly. You saw, you didn't see a light. As soon as they get in, you see silhouettes, figures walking by windows outside. It is so terrifying. And you There do is see, such a sense of dread. Out of their vantage point, you see doors open and close in the house. Oh, it's so creepy. It's so creepy. And he goes downstairs and you're thinking, this is a good little red herring because it's you talked about jump scares. This is like a tension that builds up that never pays off because he's in the basement and he's lighting matches. Again, what the hell are you doing, buddy? It's your fuse box. Really? Get the hell out of here. But he's lighting a match and you're just waiting for that moment where he lights a match and there's a figure there. It's always going to happen. And it doesn't. She takes her kid. She's like, gotta be a cold compress yeah. <laughs> she takes him to the fridge i wouldn't want to know what is in that fridge if you you read about that scene 
that kid, when you're a certain age, actors can't work past a certain time. So that whole scene was shot during the daytime and they covered that house. Ah. And the reason why the dialogue's strange, it doesn't line up. It's dubbed. It, it's dubbed because they had to put fans in to keep everybody cool because it was super hot. So afterwards, they're really like, oh, we have to dub this over. Yeah. No, it's, you can totally <laughs> tell it's dubbed, but it's it, so just... It's a little off. So he comes back up. He's like, we're getting out of here. This is stupid. And that's when all hell breaks loose. Yeah. That's when a figure breaks in. Everyone from that town gets into that house in like the snap of a finger. They're fleeing upstairs. Always a bad idea, right? I know. You never go upstairs. Never. Never flee upstairs. <laughs> but this time it pays off because they get in, they sneak out, they're able to get out of the house. These townspeople, they really drop the ball on this one. Well, yeah. I mean, that's another part where like, are they, are they trying sometimes? Are they just playing with these people? You think they get away. Yeah. Because they're driving. And I think it's their car. They drive by... Well, there's Dan. a jump scare where there's someone in the back seat tries to pull the kid. They get that person out. Then the person's on. I think it's T- the same person. Yeah, like the, oh, it's the, the one because the, the woman reaches and just her hair and, comes off. Yeah, and then she's TJ Hookering yeah. it. <laughs> she's on the windshield and it's foggy as hell. I assume it's their car that zooms by Officer Dan, who's yeah. just creeping through the town at night. He has nothing better to do. It almost looks as if he's driving around and he's going. What the hell kind of town am I living in? Yeah. This is one creepy-ass town. And every once in a while, you get that feeling he's thinking, because several times he walks out of his office during the movie, and the, the streets are barren. Oh, there's one coming he's up. like... There's one coming up I made a note of, because it is, he walks out in the street, and he's, it's just dead. But anyway. He ends, up, he ends up trying to go after that family car, and he hits someone, Michael. He does. <laughs> and this, again, another weird, creepy <laughs> moment. And this is where you're watching it, and you, and you go, why the hell haven't they killed this dude? They'll kill anybody, but they're not going to kill Officer Dan, who's poking around yeah. and getting closer to finding yeah. crap out. Ah, hit somebody, does what you do, and you get out, look. But he gets grabbed by this arm that's hanging <laughs> off his grill. Not cool. No es bueno. <laughs> and the guy who the, the arm came out gets up, kind of knocks Dan Does Dan the down. old smack, <laughs> yeah. and you get knocked out, and, and please. And this is the only scene where I thought went a little too long for the movie. It's Dan... Following this guy, and it went a little tall. You were expecting some jump scares, but jump scares from a chicken or a pigeon. Yeah, well, it flew. <laughs> yeah, so I'm assuming it's a pigeon. Yeah, yeah. That, but that, when you hear it go outside, all of a sudden you hear clucking of a chicken's. <laughs> Jason, same thing. I'm because I really I didn't make any note of it because I watched it and I watched it and I watched it and I would I would sit there and I go, "Am I missing something?" Yeah, <laughs> you know, because I kept waiting. Like, oh, is there someone peeking yeah. in on him? What is going on? There's nothing. It's it's 45 seconds of just nothing. Once again, that... an example that Dan is not a good sheriff because he's not really a sheriff. Like, he's chasing after a one-armed man. I'm like, how hard they can that be? <laughs> well, the dude did knock him down. He had a head start. Well, I'm just saying. And he was smart enough to take the arm. It's only seen the movie is like, ah, a little too long. He decides he needs to get home because... He needs more ammo in his gun because I, that's the only reason I could think of for that for that little scene happening is he what? shot at the he shot his gun. I gotta go get more bullets. I shot a bullet. Once again, I'm just gonna say if you're a sheriff and you have a sheriff station, why are you keeping your bullets at home rather than at your sheriff station? Here's the thing. I mean, and I'm, go with me here. <laughs> I would assume he does have bullets at home. Yeah. Pro- no, I think most officers He was probably do. closer yeah. to home. Okay. But it, it, the only reason is he finds the witchcraft book and this yeah. like ceremonial knife. And there's an important part of this book that I know that he, some people fly over where he, he finds it in Jan's drawer, kind of hidden. Ancient folklore states they can only be made from those who died violent deaths. Exactly. Finds this dagger. Yeah. yeah. 
And of course he's going to go to his wife. He says, what the hell are you doing with this stuff? She's got an answer for everything. She's polishing silver. Yep, cleaning. And she goes, oh, Dan. It's just a classroom exercise. you got to keep your I'm students. I'm going to teach the kids yeah. about witchcraft voodoo. Yeah. Really? And just a history lesson. Dude, these are like 10-year-old kids. I, I know. This uh, isn't high school. Again, again, where were these teachers when I was 10? <laughs> you know, I didn't have hot Melody Anderson talking about cutting hearts out. Well, so... She's just saying, hey, it's a lecture for my students because I got to keep them engaged. And she turns the tables pretty yeah. pretty nicely because yeah. then she gets mad. She's He's aggressive towards her. By the end of that exchange, she's the one who's indignant. And she goes, she says, oh, and I found your bullets. Yeah. They're right where you left them. Throws the box at him. She's all angry. And now he's sheepish and chagrined. Also, she gives him another hint. Hey, did you drop off that film? Hey, Dan, you should really take a look at that film, and Nudge Nudge. And she gets all angry. She's like, those kids worked hard. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm thinking, you go, people are being murdered left and right in this little town. I don't give a rat's butt about your stupid fi- student film. I mean, really, that's a moment where you kind of go, she's sort of probably getting frustrated that everyone's going, this guy can't solve a freaking yeah. crime to save his life. So Dan does go and drop off that film at Ernie's the next day. We find out that Dobbs now agrees with him. Dobbs says, you know what, Dan? I think you're right. George was burned, then put in the van. Yeah. Keep up the good work. <laughs> and then he gets a phone call from Harry. He says, hey, we just pulled a car out of the ocean. You want to come down here? It's I thought a, that family, family escaped car. and it's that family I, car. We don't see the parents ever again. We see the little kid. What's the point of that? Why would you do that? Just adding people to this little town yeah. i don't get it within the logic of the film i still it still doesn't make sense to me well even dan if it's a small town and you have one gas station and you have a guy named freddie work there <laughs> wouldn't kyle cars like dan would think oh yeah we got a brand new gasoline attendant showed up recently because either the town's really small or the town's gigantic it's one or the other. <laughs> they have a hospital. Why doesn't Dan... People, if they're also appearing in this town, he should be like, oh, yeah. Because everybody else talks like Freddie's been doing this for years. Exactly. And, and Just like Dan, <laughs> they seem to treat Dan like he's been... like Doing this for years. Fourth generation. Yeah. yeah. Dan, he's a fourth generation Grew Dan. up here and went off to school to get some fancy hoity-toity degree <laughs> and then a master's and came <laughs> back here. It is a small town mentality yeah. with big city visions. You know, but he does something that he should have done like the night of (laughs) as he collects some samples. He goes to his grill. He goes, I'm going to go collect samples of the flesh from that arm that was grabbing me. (laughs) And I'm going to send him. Send him to the doc, who apparently does that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, you're small. He has nothing else to do. He has no patience. (laughs) It's like, I'll look at the things under the microscope. Ben all of a sudden shows up. So the hotel proprietor shows back up. He's like, hey, Dan. He's freaked out. That George Lemoyne guy. It's Freddie at the gas station. When he first says it, and Dan has to tell him, I met the guy after he was burned. Yeah. <laughs> like, he had third-degree burns over his entire body. I don't know what he looks like, you know? <laughs> but he should know Freddy. Like, if there's only one gas station in the entire town, Sheriff's car has to fill it with gas. I'm just saying. No, you're right. You're absolutely right on that one. It makes me think Ben is still human. See, otherwise, I think Ben is like, dude... Sheriff is still not getting in. Like, sit, like, just have him go look at Freddy. See, that makes it more of a comedy to me. <laughs> well, that's why I think there was, you know, if you read about it, like yeah. they said, it was originally kind of a dark comedy, and then some of the financiers came back and said, no, no, we want this to be more horror, so cut out some of that dark comedy. But there's things like that where, like, he's just a bumbly... Ferentino is a great actor, and he plays this role, like, to a T. He doesn't treat this as, like, a B-movie or anything like that. 
But at the same time, he's a bumbling sheriff. I, you know, I would back. disagree that he's bumbling. I mean, because he does, he picks things up along the way. And he does have some ideas. Some of his theories, spot on. But at the same time, Jason, what's he investigating? He's trying to investigate like a couple of murders. But what's really going on is the local mortician is turning everyone into zombies. That's probably not on his radar. No. So he, he figures, okay, I don't know if this guy's fr- uh, George or not. But you know what? I'm going to take my wife. Because she met him. She, she bought him. film equipment from him. Yes. And she does like such an obvious, I don't yeah. know this guy, but yeah. thing. <laughs> Just yeah. humming, sitting in her car. They Freddy. And he and he does he does the mansplain thing. Yeah. For it was mansplain. He's, she says, you know, I gassed up the car. And he says, you know, it's a machine, Janet. And you got to do <laughs> things like check the oil. And what I would do at that point is I'd say, what? You can't do it yourself? You can't check your own oil? She sits there just literally humming as Freddie pokes in. She doesn't say hello to Freddie. She looks straight ahead going, <laughs> And then it transitioned to her teaching her voodoo witchcraft lecture. Again, what do you think? Ten-year-old? Yeah, think these I, I think this even... is probably... The know. little boy is not even ten. Yeah, I, I think it's... it's probably fourth grade. Here's the eerie point. She's giving this lecture. She's talking how the Walking Dead closely imitate the living but are completely at the will of their master who maintains control by hiding the person's heart if you don't catch that dialogue it's just really brief all of a sudden when she's talking to all her students you see it's the kid from the car and so then my question is how many of these students are zombies and why are you having zombie kids go to school like why because he's acting like a regular kid it's unsettling like what's the end game with this like what is dobbs doing like because well, this kid's never going to age, so next year she's going to have the, like the same student. So every, are all these the, kids zombies? Like this he's is their trying job. to turn this town into a a picture. Yeah, nothing changes. Everything stays the same. Also, very Jason, exact. He's turning the town into a picture. A moment in time. But also, Jason, there's a certain level of cruelty. I mean, she goes up to the little boy who was in the car with the parents and basically saying, "This is what happened to you." Yeah, that's weird. And that it's is, strange too because. Does she realize she's a zombie? Not yet. No. We, so then, we, we then if she doesn't, then, she, then I'm like, Jan's a really freaking weird person then. Like, why tell that to a kid? Why even teach this? Well, because... Unless she's trying to figure something out. Because Dobbs, I think, basically gives them, like, here's what you do. Yeah. I control you. You go out and do this. Right? Yeah, it taught me off. Another little more of this. And this is where they have the other argument where the reason Haskell, the principal, doesn't know about the photographic equipment is that the PTA was buying it as a surprise. And you've ruined the surprise. So (laughs) you're a horrible husband, Dan. (laughs) Again, she has an answer for everything. Yeah. If Dobbs gave her, out of all the zombies, the most free will, is she acting under his direction? Because he said, she's my first one and also my best one. Best one. She doesn't need to be touched up as much. And he gave her to Dan as a gift. But it doesn't say anything about she has more free will. That's funny. She was just the best preserved. Gave it to Dan as a gift. That means that Dan was either there beforehand, but we watched her eventually kill Dan. It's a strange wording that he has, too. Like The timeline doesn't make sense. But anyways, we get to the hitchhiker. 
where all of a sudden we're starting another plot in this movie. <laughs> it ends up being old Zadok. I'm going to call him Zadok because that's the guy from Innsmouth. But it is. It's the fisherman from earlier. But Jason, his voice is so weird. It's like a cartoon People voice. He's like, hey there. Are you, are you sure? And he's doing all this stuff where, he, where he's going, are you sure you want to get into a truck like he's telling a creepy him, like, old man? He's like, don't get in with me. <laughs> You're going to end up dead. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then he's driving. He's like, you know, you don't get any rapists and murderers in a town. I mean, I'm... I'm, I'm I don't think I'm exaggerating the voice no, that much. No. It's very much it like that. It sounds like Goofy. <laughs> it does. Or I kept thinking of David S. Pumpkins, the character that Tom Hanks does. It's like, I'm David S. Pumpkins and I'm going to kill you. So he, he just, he's like, you want to go into my boat? And she's like, you know, you live on a boat? He's going, oh, my whole life. And he drives her up this creepy old place where there's a bunch of boats. And then he goes, I got to get something out of the glove compartment. And it's a camera. And then it, the, we don't know yet, but then it pans to him and you go, that's the old dude, the, the fisherman, old fisherman that was killed. And his voice completely changed from when he was drunk yeah, yeah. and alive. But he does. He takes a picture. He goes, smile. Really disturbing. And then the townspeople show up, pull her out of the car, and crush her head. <laughs> yeah, this old dude just runs up like a 70-pound rock, drops it on her dome. To me, it's the violent death thing, but also Dobbs is like, I want the challenge. If somebody just dies of a heart attack, there's not much work. Because this, we go to one of the coolest scenes because he gets her, her face crushed. And he's like, I'm going to restore you. And then we do this like time elapse, this dissolve of stripping all the flesh from the face and rebuilding it. And it's it's Stan Winston. The cinematography and the special effects, like they did such a good job where it is hard to see when the actress actually takes over. It's an amazing piece, and it's practical effects and camera work. Yeah, because you see get rebuilt to her face, and then you see Dobbs, and he goes, you know, this is great, you know, it's cool, and he like puts pulls her eyelid yeah. back, and it's empty, which is just a, a, yeah. a disturbing look, and he puts an eye in there. He's like, oh, you know, now you may rest. The camera pans up to him, and you know, after watching it a few times, you know, they move the dummy out yeah. and put the actress back in because he leaves, and this is a curious moment. We both talked about. He leaves, and then someone comes back in, gloved. Someone's already in there. You're right. They're probably in there. They're gloved. They're in a jacket. And they come and touch the hitchhiker's face. I think the actress' name is uh, Lisa Marie. Lisa Marie, yeah. And Lisa Marie comes alive. And it's strange because, number one, who is that person? My take, I feel like it was it was a woman. I think it was Janet. And there's no explanation because... We never, we never go anywhere. And so that is a pivotal scene because you see him fully restoring someone and you're like oh he has like he has made someone who looks alive again it truly is art but then someone revives her and it's not Dobbs next scene our good doctor friend the one who's supposed to be like flesh from the car is been dead for three months the townsfolks come in and acid kill him because he tells Dan three to four months it's been dead Dan's like what the hell but then he sits down and he's doing something with his with his microscope And he seems to discover something because he tries to tell Dan. I mean, what do you think? Did, do you think he discovered, whoa, this dead living tissue? Something he discovers, he tries to call the sheriff. Because I think very much like Reanimator. Because even Dobbs says at the end, he goes, call it black magic, call it science. He goes, I discovered something and it'll go with me to the grave. I think the doctor saw that. Whatever it was, if it's a reagent. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, no, but it is. He and saw the, it. What's funny is like everybody shows up. At yeah. the same time. They knew at this point he was going to discover it. Yeah. Or they'd been watching him. 
I don't know why they didn't kill him before. Exactly. Why is he still there? Yeah. But they kill him in one of the worst ways. And then Lisa comes in and shoves two two. And he's going, that's acid. That's yeah. acid. Don't do that. Would you actually say that? Yeah. That's acid. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. They shove it up his nose and pump acid like a really, I guess, hydrochloric, some yeah. really awful acid that just kills him. Yeah. Unpleasant. I'll tell you what is pleasant. The lights out. The typography on the can reminds me of that um, Ready Player One movie and book cover. It's a neat. It's a neat. I'm not can. that familiar with it. Yeah, it's got. It's sort of like geometric. It's got almost a Art Deco kind of vibe yeah, to it. No, that yeah, I, I would say cool. that. I yeah. would highly recommend this if you can get Farfield stuff. Their distribution is around here. Okay, so you, you, yeah. you can find it at like specialty beer stores and liquor um, stores. Specialty shops, absolutely. Not sure if they're getting into like the chains yet. Okay, you know, or if you can find it at the grocery store, you'd be surprised. I mean, Trader Joe's sometimes has. Like, I'll go into a Trader Joe's and you'll find some interesting beers. Well, I'm surprised because we have two liquor stores here where I live. And one, if you go in, it has a bunch of beer that I would never think a regular liquor store would, would hold. And the other one has pretty much your common, like, large-scale brewery beer. And yeah. Like that. So, if you see it, you know, I'd recommend it. I mean, if Absolutely. You, and beer. it's a black IPA. And so, it's a, it's a different type of IPA style. So, it's... It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's one of the things that... Part, part of the reason... We both love beer. We both love movies. One of the things we love about beer is just that variety. Yeah. Like going out and just seeing like, ooh, they're doing this. Or, you know, sometimes you, you even come across a style, you go, not really familiar with that. I'm going to try it. You know, black IPAs. You don't. You don't see a lot of no. them. But they're tasty. And I would say this. If someone is put off by a, a very hoppy IPA, because of this style yeah it, the hoppiness it, it subtracts a little from the hoppiness there's a, more of a balance yep. as opposed to a bunch of hops and we're avoiding the malt yep. this is saying hey malt is here too we can be friends and play together it's an important <laughs> component malt is an important component so the next thing catches me catches me off guard i don't understand it in the scope of the movie we still think dobbs is a good guy at yeah. this point we don't the first time you see this you're thinking dobbs is you know yeah he's just a goofy man and he might even be helping dan yeah. solve the solve the puzzle yeah. Yeah. Because he does. He shows up. And he says, hey, Dan, I got to ask you something. That hitchhiker's body is gone. And in fact, it is gone. It never shows up. at the. And there's a big scene at the end of the movie where you see all the townspeople who are zombies. She's not one of them. So who revives her? And I, where could, did she go? It's like to, Dead and Buried 2. It's like Lisa Marie's story. <laughs> you know what, Jason? At the same time, though, considering like the budget and everything, it wouldn't surprise me if the actress... Lisa Marie had another gig. She came and filmed that scene, and then she said, "I gotta go. I gotta. I gotta do a commercial." Or is it? And, and, they, and, they, and they were like, "Wait, we're, okay, she's not gonna be in this last scene." It could also be that Dobbs is like, "You know what? I'm gonna give Dan another mystery to solve." Then he also throws Janet under the bus. He's like, "Your wife came and talked to me a lot about the black arts and voodoo. <laughs> you might want to talk to her about that." <laughs> He's well, throwing shade on Janet. Well, and Why? Dan and Dan says he says, "Wait, you hardly know her." Okay, this town is small. So he even <laughs> exactly. describes it as a postage stamp. He's like, yeah. "There's two murders in this postage stamp of a town." This is weird stuff. It's hard for me to believe that you know they work so closely together, Dan and Dobbs. They know each other so well that he'd go, "You barely know my wife." Like, how does that even happen? Yeah. And then the secretary or uh, what's her name, Betty. Uh, Betty. She, she says, Dan, I'm late. There's traffic. <laughs> well, there's two cars at a stop sign. Yeah, what the hell are you talking about traffic? That's a lie, Betty. And she goes, the telex. There's a telex from St. Louis. And this is where the outside world really throws a wrench. Basically, the outside world accidentally solves the crime, the, everything yeah. for Dan. Because, or it throws a wrench into Dobbs' plans. Because they say, the telex is basically like St. Louis saying, 
you know, as far as this missing person, we request that you transfer the body to yeah. us. Yeah, we believe that clearly is George Lemoyne. That's why he goes and says, Michael Pataki, dig this guy yeah, up. Sam. The last Damn. time we talked about him was when we discussed the, the baby episode. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but once again, Sam's like, I'm not going to do anything because Dobbs. Mr. Dobbs. Not- yeah. Mr. Dobbs. But they dig it up and they open up that casket. The dude's sweater. And it's wrapped, a heart's wrapped up in it. It's like a fun little reveal. Yeah. Like jump like, oh, there's a heart. Oh, remember remember Jan's lecture about what the voodoo master must do? Hide the heart to control the person? No. <laughs> Dan goes running back into the funeral home looking for Dobbs, screaming for Dobbs. He's not there and he leaves. And then there's a very much a phantasm moment. Even the sound, if you listen to it, because all of a sudden one of the drawers rolls out. Yes. And Dobbs is taking a nap and sits up. He just sits up, which nobody does. <laughs> Creepy place to take a nap. But he also, he runs into a room and there's Jimmy touching himself yeah. up. And he runs in and it, it totally looks like Jimmy got caught doing something else. Yeah, exactly. Like, like you know, Mom, I was combing my yeah. hair. Don't come into the bathroom, Mom. Because yeah. <laughs> he, he's like, oh, what, what? I got to go. I got to go. And Jimmy like sneaks out and then Dan goes over and picks up and it's like this this... You know, creams or makeup that Dobbs uses to touch up bodies. So, very weird moment there. And this is like everything kind of really... We're running to that. The pacing of this movie is like really nice. I like it. And and for most people, they would probably say this is not fast-paced. But for this film, it really picks up at this point. Yeah. Because Dan keeps going in and out, like confronting Dobbs. Because he goes back to the station. Because now he believes Dobbs has something to do with this. And so, he goes, Betty... I want you to contact state police in Rhode Island for any criminal arrest record and background information on Dobbs. They get it. Also, he's scratching his hand again. Yeah, exactly. He's scratching his hand, and she gets it. And dude, it's it's not even that Dobbs was like, you know, hey, he was drunk on the job. He was fired for using the unauthorized use of dead bodies, which begs a lot of different things from Rhode I- Providence, Rhode Island. Exactly. So Lovecraft. There, there's no way. That's not a coincidence. Yeah, I was put in there because oh, they wanted to tie like huge influence. Yeah, that might be where maybe Dan O'Bannon comes in because yeah. I know he, as a child, he he was a huge Lovecraft fan. Dobbs settled in Potter's Bluff in 1970, and Betty even at one point as she's reading everything, she goes, "Our Mister Dobbs." Just the idea of like calling him "Our Mister Dobbs" makes me think she might be a zombie. But she, but we're mean, not at sure. the end, at the at end, end one hundred percent. So then the whole time, if you go back and you think, look at Betty. You it's know. like the thing. Like, when did this person become the thing? Exactly. You know what I mean? It's like, when did that guy become the thing? We're not sure when these people become zombies. The only person we know for sure, as far as townsfolk, is the doctor. He's the only one. Then Dan runs. He's like, I got to get that film from Ernie. There has to be. He's Again, like, not sure why that's what, such why? an important, important thing. But he does. He gets it. And we also see that when he goes to Ernie, Ernie's hand, which he's not showing to Dan, is decaying. We're in a snowball now. Dan goes home, grabs the projector out of the closet, and you see that camera and lights yeah. that have been at almost all the Those murder flash scenes. flash bulbs that have shown up yeah. at, from the beginning to now. You yeah. go, ooh. So he sits down to watch the film. The stag film. <laughs> it is. Well, it's, it's kind of this grainy... <laughs> jumpy camera and it's outside a house and it walks up to the window and peeps in and there's two adults which again this is supposed to be a student film yeah. <laughs> they're watching two people having sex 
And then the woman just starts stabbing the dude in the back. And everybody from town, Midge walks in. Everybody walks in to watch. This is the most disturbing student film. Then all of a sudden... There's a reveal. It's Janet. Janet is the one killing the guy. Then it shows Dobbs. And he's just... Dan is breaking down. He just can't believe he's watching a snuff film where his wife is the snuffer. And now his Dobbs... Is involved in this stuff. His world's crumbling. Reality is falling in on him hard. So he races back to that funeral home to confront Dobbs. And it's a really strange scene because Dobbs starts playing all these videos and films of all the murders of people in town. And he admits that Janet was his first reanimated cadaver. He's they a nutball. Br- yeah, he's, he, he's, he brought back to life. It's his greatest creation. And he gave her to him. <laughs> and he'll never reveal how he did it. His secret will die with him. <laughs> yeah. And Dan even threats to shoot him. But, he, then, but he can't. Yeah. It's like he just he can't. can't shoot him. And then Janet shows up. Very strange. Yeah. Because she walks in and she just starts basically spewing all of this just stuff that she said kind of yeah. throughout. Well, you could have pork chops for yeah. dinner. You could have beef stroganoff and it's all going to be from a package. Yeah. And you know, I just had the craziest day. Just like this automaton, this like talking doll. And it's really upsetting. He just goes up and he's like breaking down. He's like, oh my God. Then he just shoots her. Well, because a part of her face falls off too. And he shoots her and it has no impact. He shoots her like two or three times. Then it seems to break whatever Dobbs' hold is. And she looks down. It's really just this crushing moment where she goes, Dan, I'm dead. And she starts backing out. And she says, bury me. I'm dead. Bury me, Dan. And she backs out of the room. And then Dobbs, for whatever reason, comes over and grabs him from behind. Dan shoots him. Yeah. Get shot. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And the thing is, is I'm just not sure why Dobbs didn't do this before. Because he's sort of saying, hey, you can't kill me. You can only make me dead. And then I become what I want to be, which is one of these long living deals that I've been making. And so Dan follows Janet out, and she goes and lays down in the George Lemoyne open grave. Which she crosses out and yeah. puts Janet. Yeah. <laughs> she crosses like, out. She had some time. Yeah. She had a sharpie in is, her hand. It's really, it's just an it's uncomfortable scene of, of her bury me, and he starts. Because she realizes she's dead. She yeah. finally has, like, completely free will, and she's like, oh my gosh, I've been, I'm not alive. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not here. supposed to be here. And so he starts burying her, like, handfuls of dirt. Which is important, because he's using his hands, like crushing dirt and throwing down yeah. in there and it's sad because it's burying her face up yeah it's really not very pleasant but how to did the whole town know that he was doing this oh i mean how does the whole town know anything they show they up all show up for her funeral like they all just decided to show up everywhere whatever. and that's when you see who's all a zombie everybody's paying their respects and it's everybody you've been seeing. And they even do play lines that have been yeah. said throughout, you know, how are you going to solve that if you can't solve a traffic yeah. accident? And his mind is exploding right now. You think they're going to, maybe it's his time to become a zombie, but he starts running. He <laughs> runs through them and they don't really make an effort to grab him. No. They let him go. And he runs back in and there's Dobbs who's been, jamming himself like With the bombing fluid and yeah stuff and, and just making himself into a, a zombie and he goes oh dan there's one last thing i wanted to show yeah. you <laughs> and you would see the film the student film and we find out the body she was stabbing was him and then he just screams and he clutches himself and you could see that he's looking at his hands and you see for the first time his hands are all falling apart. Because no doubt he was like using his hands to cover the grave. And he's been scratching at that yeah. hand most the, of the movie. They're all falling apart. 
and then it freeze frames. We start the movie with a picture. Yep. We end the movie with a. Like and Dobbs says, you know, hey Dan, come over here. Let me let me touch those up for you. Yeah. And that's the and he's just credits. looking at yeah. horror at his own hand. It's such a horrible ending. Oh, I love it. It's, I just it's a great it. movie. Yeah. I love it. It's there a... should be no happy ending here. <laughs> no. This should be downbeat. <laughs> That's the end. Roll credits with that nice music score. Sweet piano yeah. music we started with. I get to this end, and after watching it several times over several years, I go back and look at it, and the movie to me only makes sense if Dobbs, like you said, he wants to freeze time. And he's playing God, and this is a game. Because Dan has to have been fixed up several times. How does he not remember this stuff? That's the thing to me yeah. is if Dan maybe, but we know that some the, people are easier to control than others. Well, because he said he goes he he determines how much of their life and their memories he gives them back, and he gave gave Dan her and Dan a, a like their whole lives back. But then why is he just toying with them? Is is Dobbs looking for something at the you know for him to do with like once he creates this zombie town? Well, then what is he going to do? Is it just he wants to like watch? Like mystery, because he said I enjoyed this cat and mouse game with yes. you, and I think that is the whole thing. He is so bored. Well, because I mean, once you you know you find out, oh, I can do this, and you do it, you go, what next? Yeah, you know, it's always whatever. You're climbing a mountain. I just climbed the highest peak. What next? Also, think we're overthinking it a bit. <laughs> no, because because I it, there's this like. And that part of it was because of the editing. It had been edited several yes. times. Yes, it, it, like it, they just, you know, there are plot holes. Yeah. And that's what a plot hole is. So I think at the end of the day, the important thing is, is that do we, we don't even need to ask. We both recommend this oh, movie. Absolutely. If this you have not great seen movie. it, it's this a movie, great there, movie. There is just such an atmosphere of creepy in this movie. that I love it. Hey, I mean, we're in a new year. Put this down on your list for Halloween time. Or watch it now. Oh, yeah, watch it now and then it should be that that's a Halloween movie. Oh, absolutely. That, that's, that's a that's a, October, you know, people we all we're those people that you try to watch as much horror stuff exactly. in October as you can. If you haven't seen this, definitely you can get it on Tubi. Tubi? Don't know if you can find it anywhere else really. You could probably buy it from like Apple and you can, YouTube and Amazon, but to be it's free. With I might loan you my special edition, <laughs> but you know I need it back. <laughs> if I still had that novelization somewhere. <laughs> now it's interesting. Good. We did Dunwich Horror. Tons of stuff was shot up there. Yeah, that that's that also was Dunwich, <laughs> and and uh, that Dean Stockwell, Sandra D. Dunwich. <laughs> well, the thing is, Jason. Is, I mean, if you're here and you need to, you say, well, this is set in the Northeast. Mendocino is a perfect place for it. You, you Go know, to California. We can't fly all the way over. We can do it up here on the cheap. I definitely would recommend Lights Out. Oh, fantastic. This a is Black great. IPA. Farfield. Thank you, I don't, guys. You know, when they mentioned that there was a trend that was going to be really popular, I do not ever remember having a Black IPA. You might remember because... I do. I was a yeah. little, little more immersed yep. in the beer nerd world. But yeah, there was. It was in, like in the, I'd say, like 2008 to 2012 might have been the time when... There was a lot of, you were seeing this like, ooh, because they were taking the IPA and everybody's just trying to like, what else can we do? And there's a black IPA. So you saw a lot of them. And then it just kind of petered out because I think that combination of of the malt and that roasty malt, people were saying, I want the hops. And and I went, this is a great style. It is. It should be. I'm loving seeing a few more of them. This one is delicious. It is piney, malty, roasty, drinkable. Absolutely. 
You could sit there and just watch people being turned into zombies all day. <laughs> and also a very different type of zombie. We had a zombie special. Yes. And we mentioned this movie. Very different type of zombie. Not the brain eater. But killer of zombie. Yeah, killer. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Very disturbing. Um, so, no, but I think that wraps it up. We recommend both. Absolutely. This is Beer and Bee Movies. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael.